welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. We are continuing the series, Born to Set People Free. And uh, just for those of you that have not been here or to get you caught up to speed, we are looking at the prophecies about Jesus. And uh, we're actually going to look at them that pertain to his birth, his life, his death and resurrection. And we're going in reverse, kind of like that Benjamin Button thing that we talked about last week. So last week, we looked at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the prophecies about that. Now today, we're going to look at his life. And then as we get closer to Christmas, we'll look at those prophecies that are about his birth. And then ultimately on Christmas Eve, we'll all be celebrating the final prophecy and taking a a glimpse and look at it all, realizing how important it is what we're celebrating. And uh, I've loved this series, and I love that even our creative team came up with a song, uh, Born to Set Us Free. And if you've not heard it yet, you need to hear it. It's a great Christmas song. Uh, You can download it on iTunes. Uh, I know that the kids' ministry, they were giving out some copies of it for free. And if you didn't get one, I think it's 99 cents. But it'd be cool to see uh, this new Christmas song that our church has written, climb up the charts and be able to have a voice nationwide. And uh, you could help it do that for 99 cents on iTunes. Love for you to do that. Now, I do want to say this with this series. I get it that it's very um, detailed and it's, uh, we're looking at prophecy and there's a lot of scriptures and I'm like, Old Testament scripture here, New Testament scripture here, another scripture here, another thing here. And, and a lot of people are like, I'm having a hard time keeping track of all these things and you know, you're not as funny as you usually are. You know, that's right brain people. How many left brain people are like, I love the logic. You know, and they're like, I get it. I love the logic. And that point connects to that point and keep it going, you know. So I know who's going to say thank you after the service. But for everyone else, uh, stick with me, all right? Stick with me. There's some stuff here, and you can get something out of this. And I really feel it's important for our church to grab this. I want to let you know that the prophecies in the Bible are what set it apart from any other book. The prophecies that are, what am I talking about? I'm talking about that God used people that were prophets that he would speak to and they would proclaim what was coming in the future, sometimes a thousand years before it happened. You're going to see in Psalms, it was a thousand years before Jesus was born that prophecies were going out. You'll see in Isaiah, 700 years Before Jesus got here, a prophecy was given that was very specific about the one that would come and and set the people free and pay the price for our sins. So these are not just random things. These are very specific. And these things should help us to understand our faith. It should give us more of a confidence in our faith. And it should help us even at Christmas, 
even though it's not your traditional Christmas series, to be able to get to Christmas and basically have just a a strength and an appreciation and a gratitude and a deeper understanding of what Jesus is doing and what Christmas is all about. Now, I want to let you know as well, again, in case you missed last week, we believe in prophecy for today. We believe that in the Bible times, the prophecies were pointing to Jesus, and many of the prophecies were pointing to his second coming, talking about in Revelation. But there were times that the Holy Spirit would give people the ability to prophesy and speak about things that were coming in the future or things that the church needed to know. It just stands out in my mind in the book of Acts. You know, the apostle Paul is going to Jerusalem and somebody prophesies. They say, something bad is going to happen to you. Something bad is going to happen when you go to Rome. Don't go to Rome. You've got to, if you go, it's going to be trouble. If you go down to Jerusalem, it's going to be trouble. And so... Um, It was a prophecy that was telling something that happened, and Paul's like, even though I know that, I'm going, okay? So we believe that God still works that way, and in our church, we uh, have people that function in that gift, and I talked about it last week, and we'll just leave it at that. Now, um, with so many prophecies about Jesus, we, we have the prophecies, again, that we looked at last week about his death and resurrection. There's so many about his life, and then we're going right to his birth. Um, You know, I'm I'm just amazed at how many are there and how merciful God is to give us a glimpse with prophecy. I just love it that those of us that are looking back at the birth of Jesus and see the prophecies, we see the prophecies about his birth, we see the life that he lived, we look back and we, have, we just have a gift. I'm just telling you, we have a gift and we should really take a good look at the gift of these prophecies. Because it's a merciful God that says, I'm going to give this generation a look back and you can see how true it is and how planned it was and how it wasn't by accident. When you go out and share your faith, have confidence. Have confidence. I've given you a glimpse that other people would have loved to have. So with that in mind, let's dig into these things. And I'm going to look at three prophecies, but as you know, sometimes I I can't limit it to just a few, so I'm going to give you a bonus one, all right? So here's a bonus one. It doesn't count for my three. How many want to give me a bonus one? All right. Edina area, you all raise your hand. I know you did. Anyways, uh, um, bonus prophecy. This is about Jesus, and in Isaiah 61, I love this one. I just couldn't leave it out of the series. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, Isaiah is prophesying here, and he says this, and he's speaking about Jesus, but he doesn't know it, because remember, it's 700 years before Jesus is here. And he's speaking about him and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So Isaiah is saying this in his generation, but he doesn't realize it. He's actually saying it about Jesus. When Jesus gets on the earth and he's in the synagogue and he's reading, he's chosen that day to read one of the scrolls, one of the Old Testament writings. And he goes and grabs this prophecy from Isaiah. And in Luke chapter four, in verses 18 and 19, Jesus is reading it. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he's saying, guys, do you get it? 
I'm putting the pieces together. What Isaiah said 700 years ago, I'm giving you a glimpse right now. This is my message. When I've been out there preaching, I've been preaching to the poor that God loves them. I've been setting the captives free. The things that I've been doing, the miracles that are going on, that's what's going on. It's fulfilling what Isaiah prophesied about 700 years. And if you're smart, you'd pay attention. And so the people that were loving this were like, yes, this is it. He's the one. The people didn't like it. We're like, ooh, we got to eliminate this guy. You could see the tension going on. Matter of fact, if you were reading your devotional, uh, soap devotional for Saturday, you caught this in Matthew 11. Jesus even refers to this when John the Baptist is like, are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the one? And he's like, you tell John, we're preaching to the poor. We're setting the captives free. The blind are receiving their sight. And he's again kind of quoting this. And he's saying, I'm the one. I'm the one. And so with full confidence, we look at these prophecies, and that was just the bonus one. All right, so the three that we're looking at, I get excited about this because I know where we're going. The first thing, the first prophecy that we're going to look at, not the bonus one, is looking at his life, it was prophesied that Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed, the chosen one, would come from the tribe of Judah. Now, for those of you that don't know this, in Genesis 49, we have a prophetic prayer of blessing that is going on. Jacob is praying over his children, and his children are known as the 12 tribes because he had 12 sons. And so it's known as the 12 tribes of Israel. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, uh, it's in Genesis. You can read it. It's the first book of the Bible. But Jacob, it goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and then he blesses these 12 children. And he says, out of each of your tribes, out of each of your descendants, here's the blessings that are going to happen. So the beginning of the Bible, and in Genesis 49, verse 10, he's praying this blessing over his son, Judah. He says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of all nations shall be his. So he's prophesying over Judah. He's saying, Judah, out of all of my kids, the one that is prophesied about that's going to set us free from our sins, that's going to take care of all this, he's coming from your tribe. He's going to be one of your descendants, and he's going to have a special anointing and authority on him. So you can imagine at that moment, every time anyone was born into that family, they're like, I wonder if he's the one. I wonder if he's the one. I wonder if he's the one. And it's this prophecy. Now, what's interesting, it was fulfilled in Luke chapter 3. Now, if you're like me, when you read the genealogies in Matthew and Luke, you're like, this guy, we get this guy, we get this guy, you know, and this guy, and this guy. How many kind of speed read through that? Be honest. Raise your hand. Come on. You speed read through. All right. Well, there's some important stuff here. In Luke 3:33, this is what Luke records. He said, the son of Aminadab and the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah. He traces the genealogy of Jesus back to Judah. And so he's like, did you see what I just did, guys? I just let you know that Jesus is part of the prophecy that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 49. And so when you look at the birth of Jesus, Luke is setting you up right there in the beginning. He's saying, hey, guess what? He's part of the line. Matter of fact, this is interesting too about the, uh, the genealogies. Luke and Matthew have the two genealogies and they're actually setting us up for some other things. Okay, Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam. And you're just thinking like, he must have been a detailed guy, you know? That's all. I think what he was doing and what the Spirit of God was inspiring in him was this. 
The Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, is for all mankind. He goes all the way back to Adam, and he's going to take care of everyone from here forward. And it's bigger than just the Jewish people. This is a big plan that God has that's for everyone. And it's interesting, Matthew kind of slips something in there too, and I'll chase a rabbit for just a minute. This is bonus material too. Um, Matthew chases a rabbit a little bit, and he puts in there that in Jesus' family tree, he says, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and you know what? We know that she was not, she was probably a Hittite, which meant she was a foreigner, and so Matthew slips that in there as well, and he's kind of like, and by the way, the plan of God that he's been working, it includes more than us. It includes more than us. It's always included more than us. And God's got a plan to reach everybody. So there's a lot more there in those genealogies than you realize. But uh, moving on in these prophecies. The prophecy in Genesis 49, just to let you know, we talked about it last week, was like a triple threat. Because in this prophecy, Jacob prophesies over Judah. And then when David comes, they're thinking, oh, he's the king. He's in the line of Judah. And then when it doesn't happen with David... They're like, okay, now it's Jesus, okay, for when Jesus comes. And there's one more thing. Revelation 5 says he's from Judah. So it's like this major, major prophecy all coming from Genesis 49. So that's the first prophecy. Second one, found in Jeremiah 23, 5. It's talking about that he would be from the line of David. Not only would he be of one of 12 tribes, Judah, But the Bible now declares he's going to come from the line of David in Judah. Okay, so if you're like a statistician, you're realizing the odds are getting pretty small that you could make this up because we've now said it's one of 12 tribes and it's this line that the Messiah, the promised one, is coming from so we can see that it wasn't by chance. So it says in Jeremiah 23, 5, the days are coming, declares the Lord, When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And it's fulfilled in Matthew 1.6 because remember the genealogy. Matthew writes, he says, and Jesse, the father of King David. So he's tracing the line of Jesus and he's saying, by the way, guys, remember it was Judah? And here we go. Here's your David connection. It's pretty incredible when you really think about this. Now imagine... When Jeremiah gives this prophecy, we already have Genesis 49 prophecy. Now we have Jeremiah prophecy, and in between there we have David. And so we know it's Judah, and now we know it's in the line of David. How many know that when Jeremiah gave that prophecy, the pressure really went up on the descendants of David? At this moment, every boy that would be born, they'd be like, are you the one? Are you the one? You're the one. You're going to lead us. You're going to, well, that was a letdown. (laughs) All right. All right, you're the one we're hoping for you. Another letdown. Now remember, hundreds of years are going by, and they're like, man, will they ever have a good kid? <laughs> think about it. You, you think they were tempted maybe to like, can we loosen the rules and maybe kind of broaden the search, you know? Because nobody's really meeting up with what was prophesied which is so amazing about Jesus because this is why it's so important that God had to send his son because nobody could measure up. Nobody could measure up, but it had to be somebody in that line, and nobody can measure up. You and I can't measure up. 
And so God has to do something. He has to intervene and he has to send his son so that his son can live a perfect life and measure up to the prophecies that are going on. That's why it's so important that Jesus was sent and he was the one, he is the one, and it's so important. That's why God had to send his son because nobody else could measure up and he was right in that line and that's why it's important that Matthew says that's who he was. Now another thought about this with the genealogy. In Matthew 1.1, Matthew's writing this, he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I don't have time to go into it, but he's like, just in case you're keeping score at home, guys, he's the son of David, and he's the son of Abraham, and he fulfills everything you're ever thinking. Now, here's something, again, I think this is for total left brain people, but um, here's something that's interesting. Genealogies in the Bible time were like this. Bob Ketterling begat Rob Ketterling. Rob Ketterling begat Connor Ketterling. You see, they went from the person to who they were parents of. You see what I'm saying? And they went this way. Matthew switches it all up. And he goes, from Jesus, this is why all these people matter that were before Jesus. Do you see this? So instead of saying Jesus, because Jesus didn't have any earthly children. So instead of going this way, he's like, here's why Jesus matters. All these people this direction owe all their fame and all their Anything about their significance, they owe it all to Jesus. He's saying the only reason you care about David is because of Jesus. The only reason you care about Perez or anybody or Judah or anybody is only because of Jesus. And it's incredible, these little messages that Matthew is saying over and over again, all their significance is because of Jesus. And how many know all the significance in our life is because of Jesus? It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. Everything before him, Jesus makes it significant. Everything after him, Jesus makes it significant. This is, this is stuff. So they're realizing he's got to come from the line of Judah, and he's got to come from the line of David. And so when they see Jesus, they're all thinking, like, whoever this one is that's in the line of David, he's going to be mightier than David. He's going to be stronger than David. He's going to just be able to expand the kingdom back to where David had it because David was our best king. Now we've got this prophecy in Jeremiah. And so whoever this guy is, he's going to be strong and powerful. And we've got to think if he matches up to David and is better than David. Now, those of you that know your Bible, you know that David was anointed. And the Bible says whenever he would play his harp, the spirit of God was there in like a special anointed way. And King Saul was tormented by evil spirits. And so whenever David would play his harp, the spirits would leave and Saul would find relief. And so they're like, wow, David has authority over evil spirits. So along comes Jesus. And Jesus is like, be quiet, come out of him. You're gone, be done. You know, and he's casting demons out. They're like, whoa, David needed a harp. This guy speaks the word. He's the one. And so like, he's more powerful than David. He's stronger than David. He's amazing. I bet you he's going to be a good king. And David killed giants. I wonder who Jesus is going to kill. Maybe Pilate. All right. You know what I mean? See what they're thinking. This is the way they're, that's how you would have thought too. Because you're thinking he's going to be a king. He's in the line. David, he's strong. And then Jesus takes it to a whole nother level, blows their mind, lays down his life. And then afterwards he says, hey, you guys were worried about power and borders. Guess what? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, I have all the borders. You wanna know how big the kingdom is? It's no longer Israel. 
The kingdom is the whole planet. Now I want you to go out and make disciples because you want to know how big my borders are? The whole planet. Blew their mind. He said, guess what? We're not going to conquer it by killing people. We're going to tell them the good news that God sent his son, that his son died to pay the price for their sins, that he rose again from the dead. And, and you get to go into the whole world because I've given you all authority. I've conquered it all. You talk about being more powerful. Boop. You know what I mean? He walks off the stage. That's what's going on. That's amazing. That's amazing when you think about it. Okay, one more prophecy. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And I love it. A friend of mine out in Pittsburgh, uh, he said to me, uh, turn with me to Malachi. I said, no, Malachi. So anyways, you know, <laughs> Malachi. Malachi 3, 1 and 2. Prophet Malachi is prophesying this. Again, four to 500 years before Jesus ever gets here. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Okay, so think about this. Think about this. Malachi is prophesying hundreds of years before Jesus gets here that somebody's gonna go and prepare the way before him. And for those of you that know your Bible, who went before Jesus and prepared the way? Go ahead and say his name. You're like John the Baptist. Yes, that's right, John the Baptist. Fairbow Campus shouted that out. I'm just sure they did. But John the Baptist. Okay, so John the Baptist. So he's the one that goes before. This prophecy actually has two parts in it. Two parts. One is there'll be a messenger, which we know was John the Baptist. And for those of you that want the scriptures again, Isaiah 43 through 5 talks about him saying, prepare the way of the Lord, make the mountains flat. And then when he comes on the scene in Luke chapter 3, it says this about him. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as, as it is written in the books of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his path for him. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So Isaiah prophesies it 700 years before. John goes and does it and he's saying, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm preparing the way for the one, this is it. Now, the second part of this prophecy is very unique and very distinct. You got to stick with me on this. It says, he will come into his temple. Come into his temple. And for those of you that don't know where this is, again, this is very detailed, but I think you need to hear this. In Jerusalem, where the Dome of the Rock is now, right now there is a Muslim shrine there. Before that was ever there, the temple of God was there. The temple that was there of the Jewish people was on that very spot, right there. And the Bible prophesied that the Messiah would enter into that temple. Now, if you're following with me, it's not there anymore. When did it disappear? The temple disappeared in AD 70, just a little bit after Jesus was gone. Okay, so 30, 40 years after he's gone, the temple is destroyed. Not only according to biblical records and Christianity, but if you actually go to Rome, Beck and I just went to Rome on our 25th anniversary, and I couldn't wait to get a picture of this place. It's called the Arch of Titus. Go ahead and show the picture up on the screen. So the Arch of Titus is right there, and on that picture, right where I'm taking that picture of that, is a... Is a picture of them raiding the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. 
And in Rome, they were celebrating that the emperor Titus went into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple just like it was prophesied that there wouldn't be one stone left standing. Not one thing. Think about it. Jesus was born at the right time. You talk about timing being everything. If he was born later in life and Titus would have conquered it, there would have been no temple to walk into. No one has ever been able to walk into the temple because it doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. You can walk on the grounds, you can go by the shrine, but it's not there anymore, okay? Now, how many know that if Jesus had never stepped foot in that temple, no one would give us a pass? No one would give the things of God a pass. They'd say, Jesus can't be the Messiah. He can't be the one. He, it can't be all about him because he never stepped foot in the temple, and yet he did. Because the Bible tells us when he, in Luke chapter 2 that he was brought there. And I don't have time to go into it, but his parents brought him into the temple and he was there. He went and worshipped in the temple. Matter of fact, if you go with one of our groups, one of our trips to Israel, we will take you to a stone. It's about six feet wide by about 14 feet long. And that stone is the entrance to the temple. It's one of the few things that's left. It's not part of the temple, but it's in the entrance. And they say with absolute certainty, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, all the apostles, all stepped on that stone. I got there and I like covered the whole thing. I just wanted to make sure I had touched where he had touched. You know, so I covered it all. Some of the people in our group, it was a very moving thing. One person knelt down and kissed it, tears rolling down. They're just like, it's the closest connection point I've ever had on this planet. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. And if he had not gone into the temple, they would have never given us a passport. All right, last thing, what does this mean to me? Here you go, right brain people. <laughs> what does it mean to you? Okay, stick with this is, this is it. In the Old Testament, the temple represented God's presence. It was saying, here's where God is, and if you wanna meet with God, you gotta go to the temple, and God's there, go to the temple. Okay, go to the temple. That's where God is. He's in the holy of holies. He's there. So you got to go there. That's only the priest could go in there, but you could get close to him. Matter of fact, even in Israel today, they will go and pray at the closest possible spot that they will get to, right to that temple foundation wall. And they'll place their face there and they'll pray their prayers, thinking they're as close to that spot that they needed to go. That represented God's presence. But then Jesus comes. And he represents the fullness of God. He is the fullness of God. And everything in the Old Testament prophesied and point to the day that the Savior would be born and live a perfect life and fulfill everything in the line of Judah and the line of David, everything. And everything would be fulfilled. Everything would be taken care of. And Jesus would say, this is the pinnacle. This is it. Everything before me matters only because of this moment. And then everything after me matters only because of this moment. And here's the amazing thing. It, it was the temple represented the presence of God. That's where he was. Then Jesus was the fullness of God. And now our part of the story, this is where it all goes to. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? When you give your life to Jesus Christ because of what he paid on the cross, the price that he paid, God places his Holy Spirit in you. It's no longer in the temple. Jesus came to the earth, the fullness of God right there. Then Jesus ascends into heaven, sends his spirit down. And now when you and I give our life to Jesus Christ, the spirit of God is in us and we're the temple. 
And it's no longer go to the temple. It's the temple has left the building. The temple is going to your neighborhood. How amazing is this? We could never all get to Israel, to the temple. If Jesus was physically here, we couldn't all have a moment with him. There's too many people on the planet. But God says, I place my spirit in you. The temple goes. The spirit of God goes. You're part of the story. All this was prophesied. When you get to Christmas this year, and if we sing it, go tell it on the mountain, or you hear that played on the radio or in your car, you should get excited about it. Because Christmas was... It all comes to here, and now it all goes to there. You're right. We're part of the story. We're part of the story. We have a message to bring to the rest of the world. What a privilege. What an honor. How amazing Christmas is. And when we celebrated every song about God sending his son, every song about those that were able to tell the message, man, you get to be part of the story. You get to be part of the story. So God, help us to get excited about that. It's not go to the temple and see God and be near God. It's Jesus has come. God sent his son, uh, the tribe of Judah, of the line of David, fulfilling all these prophecies, going into the temple, dying on the cross, coming back from the dead, being crucified between thieves, using a rich man's tomb, and now telling us to go into all the world, increasing the borders, saying it's way bigger than David's borders. It's all the earth. You want to know where I want you to go? All the earth. God call missionaries out of our church. They would say, we're going to borders. We're going across borders. God, help us to have joy and passion to share our faith this Christmas, to have the courage to invite someone to Christmas Eve, to have the courage to stand up with our family and say, this is why I believe what I believe. This didn't happen by chance. This happened through prophecy. It's real, it's true, and now I'm part of the story. And the joy and the peace that I have is because the Spirit of God now rests in me and I'm on mission to bring it to you. Wow, God, help us to live different. Help us to live different because of that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.